All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Matthew 16, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Matthew 16. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for tonight and the, uh, the time we've had in worship and in song and in prayer. And we pray that as we open up your word, the word of life, that it would get deep into our hearts. We'd understand it, even in the story um, tonight, that the disciples didn't quite understand what you were saying. And uh, we, can all, we can all fall into that category sometimes. And we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd help us to get it. Um, to receive everything that you have for us and to let it do its work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The Pharisees and Sadducees uh, show up again here tonight. They are just a constant thorn in Jesus' flesh. Paul refers to that when he writes that he has a thorn in the flesh, uh, a buffeter, a buffer of Satan, he calls it at one point. And, um, just keeps prodding him and pro just reminding him that he's touchable, I guess. I think, uh, I think of all the things that Job went through uh, and the, the loss and all, and the thorn in his flesh of, um, well, just certain people in his life that didn't bring joy, but they brought uh, criticism or they bought, brought unbelief or um, there were people in their lives that they needed to overcome, you know. I think we all have people like that in our lives, and I think that's by design. I think God wants us to grow up and to be mature believers. And um, I know that uh, soft, easy times make us soft and easy. It really does. And not that I always want heartache and, and rough times. I don't. I, I pray for the exact opposite of that. Um, I get better, though. I get closer to God. I have more faith when I have more reason for it. That's just how it is. Um, and so Jesus is teaching, actually, as he goes through these trials and tribulations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he ends up teaching the disciples a thing or two. They're watching, of course, observing this. They're terrified of these guys. Um, they were taught from youth to be terrified of these guys. And thousands of years later, we're reading chapter 16 in Matthew, and Matthew's, the former tax collector, is teaching us also that there are always going to be these hypocrites in our lives, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, and to watch out for them. To watch out for them that they don't affect us, but also to watch out that, that we don't become like them. That's the key. He didn't say that they weren't going to be around these guys. He just said later on here in this chapter, beware of them. Be aware of them. Understand who they are, what their purpose is, and why they're in your life. And it's for you to learn how to deal with them graciously, but also, you know how Jesus says, I want you to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. It's the wise as serpent part that I pick up on. Harmless, well, that's going to take a work of God in my life. But the wise thing, I can't produce that. I can't. That's got to come from the Lord. And Jesus deals so wisely with those people that are interrupting his ministry. So, it says this in verse 1, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! 
You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. And when he does that, he goes across the sea again. He always makes these uh, grand departures, you know. I'm off. He doesn't give them the answer they want. He doesn't give them what they've asked for. He calls them for what they are. They're hypocrites. And he says, you're an evil and adulterous generation. That's a, that's a strong cup of coffee to give to somebody sometimes. I mean, I like everybody to like me, and I want everybody to get along with me for the most part. Some people like the exact opposite. They like everybody to hate them and they like everybody to go away from them kind of thing. Well, I'm, I'm not like that. I want people to do that. So this is a very difficult, this would be a very difficult thing for me to say to somebody right to their face. You know, it'd be hard. But it isn't for Jesus because he's got a good balance. He has a good understanding of there's ministry going on here. There's always that balance that we have to find when we're ministering in any capacity, whether that's at work or with family or with friends or whatever, that there are always people, sheep, that need caring And there are always wolves that need to be guarded against. And as much as you want the wolf and as much as you desire the enemy or whoever these people may be to turn and repent and come to a place of brokenness, you cannot sacrifice the sheep for the sake of the wolf. It's just not going to happen. And so Jesus gives us a great example. The wolf, these guys, these wolves, Pharisees and Sadducees, Needed a knock on the head, basically. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Those are two different tools for two different purposes. One is meant to help those sheep get out of tough spots. Thank you for that. But I also like the tool that you use to whack the enemies with, you know. And Jesus does that here. Everybody's watching. The disciples are watching. The Pharisees and Sadducees in their typical form are trying to stumble him and cause him to do Well, they're actually asking him to do the very thing that Satan asked Jesus to do when he was being tempted in the wilderness. Remember that. That tells you whose father they are. It's a different face. They're different vocal cords, but it's the same spirit coming out of these guys as what met Jesus in the wilderness to say, hey, I know you're hungry. Turn these stones into loaves of bread. You could do it. You're, You're God's son. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God was Jesus' response. No, I'm not going to do a trick for you. I don't have to prove that I'm who I am. I, I bear the name, you know. I don't have to show you or prove it to you. I don't care, Satan, if you believe me or not. It doesn't make any difference to me. And these guys have that same spirit. They want Jesus. Remember, their, their purpose isn't really to find out if he's the Messiah. That's how they're coming across. It's passive-aggressive. Hey, show us, show us a sign. We, I mean, we want to believe, but we got to see something here. Where have you been? You know? I mean, even Matthew, the tax collector, has been documenting some pretty good stuff so far. Where have you guys been? Well, they've been there. They've watched it. They just don't want to believe. They don't want it to be true. They don't want them to raise people from the dead. They don't want them to heal people from sickness. They don't want them providing them meals out in the wilderness from nothing. They don't want him doing any of this stuff. That's not their concern. Their concern is to, is to shut him up, to stop him. Show us a sign. Well, 
beyond telling him he's not going to do that and also calling him a bunch of crazies because you ought to be able to tell, you ought to be able to look around you and know that this is the time for the Messiah to come. You should have known. In Matthew 12, verse 40, when he talks about this, this uh, sign of the Jonah, we just went over this a few chapters ago. For as, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The only sign I'm going to show you is I'm going to rise from the dead three days after you kill me. And at one point he says that, you guys are going to kill me. You're a madman. You're a crazy man to think we're going to do that. He's insane. No, you're going to kill me. Well, no worry, I'm going to get back up in three days and rip the veil from top to bottom, and there's going to be an earthquake. There's going to be darkness. It's going to freak you all out. I'm going to do that, you know. That's a sign I'm going to give you to show you who I am. And by then, well, now there's a lot of regret. <laughs> Remember the centurion, when it got dark and the earthquake happened, he says, truly, this was the Son of God. <laughs> Even he knew it. Even he regretted being where he was standing, you know. I'm in the wrong place. Pontius Pilate's wife don't have anything to do with this just man. Don't have anything to do with this just man. Even she was like, I don't even want to, this is the wrong place to be. So when he says, you want a sign, I'll give you a sign. I'm going to get up three days later. In Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, as Jesus comes in on his triumphant entry, he's on the back of the donkey, and they're laying the coats and the branches before him. It's Palm Sunday. He's coming in. He begins to weep as he draws near the city, and he says, uh, if you had only known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you, and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You should have known. So when these guys say we need a sign, he says you don't need a sign, you need to open your eyes. I'm right in front of you, it's right in front of you, it's happening all around you. That feeling you have, that sense you get, that thing you're seeing with your very own eyes, believe what you're seeing, you know. I think we're in such a time right now. I think a lot of us don't want to believe that we're in a time that we're in right now. Can't believe it's really that. Can't believe it's actually that right now. I mean, I've read about that. I know that's coming, and I believe that's true, but this can't be it. Even though I feel like I've never felt before, I'm seeing things I've never seen before. I'm hearing people and watching things happen all over the world that I've never seen, nor has the history of the world ever seen before. This, this isn't it. We got to be careful about that. Jesus tells us exactly what it's going to look like at the second coming. These guys were told exactly what it was going to look like at the first coming. As he's talking to them, and they're saying, all we need is a sign, a sign to really believe it. You mean besides the 5,000 being fed, the 4,000 being fed, the dead rising, the sick being healed, you wanted something more. For, like what? Well, I wish he would have said that. I have advice for Jesus. I would have said, like, what would you like to see? No, because there are sheep in the presence. See, we forget that sometimes. There are sheep right there. There's people all around him that are like, what, what's happening? Are the Pharisees and Sadducees mad at our, at our rabbi, at our Messiah, at our Jesus, at our, uh, our, 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 our master? 
And so he has to whack him on the head, basically. You should have known, he says. You should have known. Verse 5. So he's left. He's gone across the sea. Now, when the disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. <laughs> That's a whole other Bible study in and of itself right there. Just these guys are like, did you bring the bread? <laughs> but you had the bread. Peter, you were supposed to get the bread. Then Jesus said to them, take heed. He's teaching them. They're thinking this in their head. Mm, forget the bread. Can't ask him to turn around now. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we've taken no bread. I know. Every time I read this, every time I teach this, I kind of... And Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 uh, and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of leaven of bread, but of the doctrine or the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He kind of calls them on it. What I found most interesting about that section was that he said, you have little faith. When I think of someone telling me I have little faith, it's because I don't believe in the miraculous, or I don't believe someone can be healed, or I don't believe that God can work this out, or whatever, which is kind of what he means. But he's saying, you have little faith that you didn't understand what I told you. You should understand what I'm telling you by now. Paul says at one point, I, to the Corinthians, I believe, I wish I could talk to you Where's that scripture? That escapes me. It, it doesn't matter. Um, in talking to believers, babes in Christ, I, I would like to talk to you like you're mature, but I can't because you're like babes. You're still drinking milk. And you're supposed to desire the pure milk of the word, but by now you ought to be on solid food. You ought to be chewing the meat of God's word. You ought to be able to handle this. There's an expectation of growth, an expectation of maturity, an expectation of faith growing becoming more useful to the person who has the faith. We're supposed to have that. He believes by this point they should not be thinking this way and that they should understand what he's saying. There is no excuse for us to be believers who have Scripture, who have Bibles in our hands, to be ignorant of God's Word and to not know. If I've been a Christian for over five years, I ought to be five years old in the Lord, not just time. That's like saying, I've been in the first grade for five years. I wouldn't boast about that. You know? It's time to graduate. It's time to move on. It's time to dig into deeper things. Not laying again the basic foundations, as, Jesus, or as Paul writes, of, of baptisms and the laying on of hands and all these things. These are basic things. We should be past this by now kind of thing. He says, you guys are of little faith. How is it that you're reasoning among yourselves about bread? Don't you remember the five loaves and the, and the seven loaves? Now, I, I'm hard on myself as I study this, and I don't know that Jesus is being necessarily as hard on them as I'm being on them. Because I think he's very gracious and merciful. He's trying to give them more words. He gave them a quick phrase, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they were supposed to pick up on that. They're supposed to put two and two together. He didn't explain it, but he's supposed to be able to say something like them and say, yeah, yeah, for sure. Those guys, 
They're supposed to be on the same page as him by now, to be able to recognize their hypocrisy, to be able to recognize the danger of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to be able to understand with that one sentence what he meant. And we need to be that way. We need to get to that place where we read something and we see something in our lives and we recognize it from Scripture. Ah, yeah. I see that. I've seen that before. I just read that this morning. Yeah, yeah, there it is. We're supposed to know this stuff. And when I don't, it's because my faith is weak. See, it's in the, it's in the quiet times. It's in the, you know, we, we talk about having a quiet time. Because the opposite of a quiet time is a tumultuous time, right? A quiet time is where you're at peace, where you've got no distractions, where you can spend time. I, I mean, I would remember uh, when I would study in high school and being so easily distracted. I mean, I could hear a door close and my mind would just, I'd just get, compl- and I'd forget everything that I just read. I had to get to a place where I had zero distractions, a quiet place, and nobody could bother me, nobody could find me, and I could just read. And sometimes I still had to read it three or four times before I got it, but I just needed those three or four times before being interrupted or taking away, taken away from it, and I would forget. And so we have our quiet times with Scripture, with God, so that when the tumultuous times come, we already have the answer. We've already studied. We've already prayed up. We're already there. We recognize it. We see it. We walk in faith because we've already taken that time. God has provided a quiet time for me. And I need to take advantage of that. When I don't take advantage of that quiet time, I'm not prepared for that. And that means my faith is weak because I haven't done, I haven't believed him. You're going to need this quiet time. Okay. What about tomorrow? No, you're going to need this quiet time because it's not going to be quiet in about four hours. In about four hours, craziness is going to hit your life and you need this quiet time to get ready for this craziness. Mm. I need to believe him. That's what faith is. I believe God. You should have known. Now, I'm not worried about bread, Jesus says. I don't care how much bread you have or don't have. It doesn't matter to me. Obviously, I've shown you that twice. I'm not mad at you that you weren't able to feed 5,000 people. I'm not mad at you that you weren't able to feed 4,000 people. I took care of it. I took what you had. I didn't expect you to come up with 5,000 loaves of bread or 4,000 loaves of bread. I took what you had, and I multiplied it. I gave it to you to then give out. I am your supplier. I'm the one who takes care of you. I don't expect you to bring... You wouldn't have enough room in the boat for all that bread. You know? We forgot bread again. We'd have to bring like 12 dinghies behind us to carry all the bread you'd need for the next crowd. He says, why don't you understand what I'm... I'm I'm speaking metaphorically. I'm telling you the leaven of the Pharisees. It's... It's bad. I need you to watch out for that. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about spiritual things. You're thinking about physical things. And that's really the thrust of this chapter. I'm thinking about spiritual things, and you're thinking about physical things. And we're not seeing eye to eye. In fact, later on in this chapter, he's going to do the same thing with Peter. There's a common theme here. You're, you're mindful of the things of men. You're not mindful of the things of the Spirit. I can take care of your provision. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things will be added unto you. Five loaves, two fish, four loaves, seven loaves. doesn't matter. One loaf. No loaves. I can provide for you. 
What I need you to focus on is your walk. I need you to have stronger faith, more faith, exercise your faith. Well, they say, okay, okay, we get it, we get it. You're talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, Matthew 23 is my cross-reference, and we will get there. And so I don't know how much of this I want to read to you, because it's about the whole chapter. And I don't think that's going to be beneficial, because we're going to study it when we get to chapter 23. But let me read to you some of it, because the whole thing is about woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. He finally is at that place where he needs to tell them everything that's wrong with them. He's hinted at it. He's shown them that. But finally, he lays it out. You, Pharisees and scribes, listen up. Woe to you. He says in chapter 23, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. And do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. Now, these guys are right there in the room. So he's talking to the sheep, saying, these scribes and Pharisees, they sit in the seat and definitely do what they teach, but don't do what they do because they're a bunch of hypocrites. They don't do what they teach. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. Of course, he doesn't stop there. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their... Uh, um, Phylacteries, broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for only one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Now, he's not saying we can't say, hey, dad and mom and all that stuff. What he's getting at is these Pharisees and Sadducees would walk down the road, and they say, oh, hello, 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 father. Hello, teacher. Hello, great rabbi. And those guys are like, hello, yes, I am. You know, they just love that. He's saying, no, 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 you're all brothers. Don't let them ever think that they're above you. Don't ever treat them like they're above you. Yeah, listen to what they have to say, but only because what they're saying is from my word, and my word is valuable. But what they're, what they're doing isn't. And so he goes on and on here, woe and woe. And I would encourage you to read that only because, in your own time, he warns these guys to watch out for that leaven. That, that Don't let that get into your lump. Don't let that desire that they have permeating throughout their lives, that desire to be um, known, to be revered, to be exalted. Don't let that infect you. Beware of that leaven. Keep that leaven as far away from you as possible. Keep that hypocrisy away from you. Be doers of the word. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. So you can read the rest of that on your own. But that's what we're to avoid. That's what you're supposed to watch out for. And he says, I want you to be careful of that. And they, they got it. They understood that he wasn't talking about bread, but that he was talking about that. Now, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Or who do, I, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? There, was, there were a lot of thoughts, a lot of ideas. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ, the Savior. Now, Peter did it, right? He did, good job, Peter, you know. Um, he doesn't do so well in two verses from now, but for now we're going to stop and let him have his moment here. He did good. He said it, you know. You ever say something, you're like, oh, I hope that was right, you know. I would do that in, in school all the time. I'd raise my hand because I think I know what I think I know. And then I, that self-doubt would come in and I'd put my hand down. She goes, J.D., what is it? What do you think? Is it this? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know, totally confident. I knew that the whole time, you know, kind of. Peter gets excited. Now, he's, he's just that way. He is that way. When you read about Peter, he is, can I come out of the boat and walk with you? Yeah, okay. Oh, I'm, I'm drowning, you know, kind of thing. I need help. Now, he, I don't know that he knows it or not, but he says, this is, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He goes, you didn't, you didn't come up with that. My Father in heaven gave that to you, but that's a, that's a blessed thing to know, Peter, and to confess. That's a blessed thing to know and confess. Good for you. Good for you. Now, he calls him Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah is what that means. Simon. It's not Peter. He says, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, he's saying, you came up with that, and you're... After Jonah, everybody knows who Jonah is. Jonah was not the prophet that everybody wanted to be, you know. You want to be Elijah, you want to be Jeremiah, you didn't want to be, hey, Jonah. I know. Jonah was a reluctant minister, you know, a reluctant servant of God. Um, forced almost, well, not almost, was. Um, and so he says that to him. Now, he says, I'm going to call you Peter. Changes his name right here. Not Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. And, uh, and Peter's Petros. Petros means little rock. I'm going to call you little rock, Peter. Good job, little rock. You're a good pebble, you know, kind of thing. I want you to follow his thought, though, as Jesus says this. This wasn't revealed to you. That came from God. And on this, I'm going to build my church. What is this? Is it the pebble? There's a whole denomination, Catholicism, that has built their church upon the pebble and believe that Jesus meant the pebble, that upon Peter, upon the first Pope Peter here, and upon the apostolic laying of hands, we will build our church. In other words, they believe Peter laid his hands on somebody, and then they laid their hands on somebody, and all the way to 2021, every priest has had their hands or get hands on by Peter, basically. And so they built their church upon that principle that here he's talking about, Peter, it's not what he's saying. It's obvious he's talking about the confession. Peter, good confession. I know bar Jonah didn't come from you. It came from my father. And upon that, upon that confession, that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm going to build my church on that. The rock is Jesus. The rock that he mentions here at the end of verse 18, Peter, little rock, on this rock changes the word to Petra. Big rock. Peter, you're a pebble, but upon this rock, the truth, the confession that I'm the Christ, 
I'm going to build my church. And he has. He's built it upon that rock. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that. The gates of hell. The gates of hell are meant to keep people out, right? That's why you have a gate, you know, the door. Gates, a gate to the, to the sheepfold. or the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to let you break through those gates. The church is going to go through those gates. And I'm going to give you the keys to that. The key to get people out of hell, to get people out of their destination. Every single person on the face of the earth is destined for hell because they've fallen short of the glory of God. And it is the gospel, that's the keys he's talking about here, are the ones, that's how we get released from that destination. Peter, I'm going to give you the gospel, the good news. What's the good news? That thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, that he's going to come and die on the cross for the sins of the world. And anybody that believes on him, will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the, that's the keys. Every one of us has those set of keys. We have the gospel. And the gates of hell, no matter who's behind those gates, we can go in and we can tell them about this gospel, and as long as they believe, they can come out. We can loose and bind. It's a beautiful thing, if understood, the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach, colon, here it is, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's that confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the keys. That's what we share, share with people. That's what looses people. A lot of people don't know what they're loosed from until they walk out of the gates, you know. I've had lots of examples in my mind. None of them are perfect, you know. But you think of people that have been in captivity or been in bondage for a long period of time. It could be a, it could be a felon um, that gets out of prison after 20 years, after 30 years. How much has changed? It's almost overwhelming to them when they come outside of the walls or come outside of the prison that they've been in. To, to, to the point where some of them want to go back in because it's too overwhelming, too much freedom, too different. They don't know how to assimilate. They don't know how to blend. They just feel like somebody tell me when to eat. Somebody tell me when to shower. Somebody tell me what. To... They don't realize how it's changed them, how it's affected them, this bondage, until they're loosed from it and they walk out. Oh, now on the other hand, and I hope this is how it is for most people that come to Christ. As they come out, they're, they're set free from their sin. They're like, oh my goodness. I had no idea how in bondage I was. I become so accustomed to the chains, so accustomed to the walls, to the gates around me, that it felt like home. I just felt like home. I don't know what to do with this freedom. I think that's the struggle of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're not in prisons. They're not felons. They're breakers of the law for sure, but they walk around and teach walls. They teach barriers. They teach heavy burdens. That's what Jesus was saying. These guys do nothing but lay heavy burdens on people. I don't think it's hard to know the full extent of grace. The full extent of God's mercy and his forgiveness, the full extent of the freedom we now have in Christ. 
Paul, I think, tries to touch on it, but he's got to be careful about it. He, see, he seems even careful about how he says it. All things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. He has to follow that up, you know. What does he mean, all things are lawful? All things are lawful? It's very difficult. We like our walls. We step out into the sunlight from the bondage that we were in sin, and we step out and we see this freedom. We're breathing fresh air, and we, could do, we can do anything we want. You can. You've been set free to not sin. You've been set free to not sin. That's the best way a pastor could share, because I don't want to say, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. Because if you've been set free by Jesus, and he's given you the keys and let you out of a prison, and the more you understand how dark it was and how in bondage you were, you come out and say, I don't want to do anything that would offend the person that let me out, that showed me the grace, that gave me the keys. I don't want to give him any reason to put me back in there. He wouldn't. His grace is sufficient. I can't out, I can't out sin or out, out grace him, you know, with my sin. I can't, I can't do more than his grace can cover. The blood of Jesus Christ covers all of my sin, past, present, and future. I, I can't. And to understand that is it's we almost want bondage again. And we do that with religion. And we become Pharisees and Sadducees. And because we don't trust ourselves with that grace and that mercy that God's given us to just walk in obedience and being led by the Spirit in everything, we begin to put those around us. And then we begin to put that, those things around other people around us too. For their own good. And we feel better. Like a felon who cannot accept his freedom. Jesus is trying to teach them, I'm going to build my church upon this, and I want you to break down these gates. I want you to set as many people free as possible. They can't set themselves free. They can't do enough right. They can't be obedient enough to get to heaven on their own. You're going to just have to open the doors and let them know that I've forgiven them for their sins. That's what's so good about the news, you know? It's not a work release. It's your go. Do I need to check in with anybody? Mm-mm. I mean, I don't have to go to church. No, there's no, not in here. No. Well, it says, don't forsake the assembling together of the brethren. And when we start doing this and teaching that verse that way, we begin to put walls around ourselves again. No, you don't have to. And I, as a pastor, have to follow up with, why don't you want to? And I don't mean to lay a guilt trip on anybody, but why would you not want to go to a place and worship the God who did this for you? But uh, the good news is incredible. It's way more. It's, it's, it'll take us forever, forever to figure this out and to understand what's happened to us. But he's trying and he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus to Christ because it's not time yet. When chapter 23 hits, it's time. But right now, not yet. From that time, Jesus, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes to be killed and be raised on the third day. He starts telling them right away. 
from this point on, they're going to kill me. I mean, I'm going to be whipped. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get dark. It's, I'm going to die, but I'll be back. Three days later, he's teaching them this. Now, they can't accept that. They can't. They won't. But by faith, they should. Everything you've done so far is absolutely true. Everything you've done so far is for our good and because you love us and, and, and you've done nothing for us to doubt you. They should accept this teaching from him. Okay, okay, he's going to die. He's all going to get beaten. We got this right, and he's going to rise from the dead. We'll be waiting outside the tomb. It's how it should have gone, but it didn't. Peter took him aside. <laughs> oh, Peter. I began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Now, you know where he's coming from on this, right? We all get it. I love you. I mean, this is the greatest man that they've ever had in their lives. None of these guys are telling him that you're just, I don't want to believe it. This is not going to happen to you. No, I won't let it happen. You can say it all you want. And he says it a couple times. We'll die for you, Jesus. You know, he, he gets all excited about this. We're going to be your, we'll be your bodyguards. We'll make sure that no one touches you. And they don't. Now, I want you to, this is hard. Because Peter, I believe his heart was, far be it from you. Absolutely not. Stop talking that way. This shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, he says to Peter the most important thing he could say to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Man, it's a harsh thing. Can you imagine hearing that from him? I mean, we all love him. I mean, he's the greatest. We are madly in love with Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can do about it. And to say something so wrong, to have him, the one you love the most, look at you and say, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things that I'm... To have him chew you out like that? Oh, man. Peter got about that. Talk about pebble. (laughs) He felt like a pebble for sure at that point. But he needed to. Peter, you're going to be the leader of the church. You're going to be one of the main men. You're going to be the first person to encounter Gentiles and bring them into my kingdom. I got plans for you, and I can see ahead of time exactly how this is all going down. And you need to start pastoring up. You need to start acting like the man of God I need you to be, because I'm going to be gone. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to show you this sheet with a bunch of food in it. You're going to have to eat it. I'm going to do all sorts of stuff to you. And I need you to be in a place where you're mindful of the things of heaven. My things. It's the spiritual things. I don't want you thinking about man things anymore. You're still thinking about man things. Stop thinking about man things. Satan thinks about man things. Satan's gurus think about man things. You're not to be one of them. It's the most important thing he could have said to him. Hard to take. What a difficult thing to receive from your teacher and your best friend in the whole world, you know? Rebukes are hard. They just are. But if you understand the heart of the person giving you the rebuke, which I think Peter will eventually, I'm sure this is, I'm sure he's sore right now. He's stinging. I mean, he's always arguing with the rest of the guys, right? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And Jesus has already rebuked them a couple times. Stop talking about who's the greatest. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to be the least of all. You serve everybody. You know, kind of thing. He hurt us. You know, kind of thing. 
And so for him to do this in front of everybody, that tells me everything I need to know about what God's plans are for Peter. If you get rebuked by the Lord, you understand what he has plans for you? I need you to step up. I need you to be less. I need you to be lower. I need you to be smaller so that I can do greater things with you. Oh. Oh. That's how this works. It's exactly how it works. I need you to decrease so that I can increase. John got it. Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now, why would I use that? Why would that cross-reference come up here? That's a little bit of a stretch. I'll give you that. But Peter is turning to the servant of all and telling him, you're doing it wrong. You're saying it wrong. That's not your job, Peter. I don't care if it was John that you said that to, because he's his rival. Remember, John outran Peter. We talked about that at Easter. They're kind of, they butt heads now and then. But even if Peter was to say this to John, John, you're not doing it right. That's not your job, Peter. No one made you the hall monitor. And as Christians, man, we've got to get that in our heads. I am not the hall monitor, John. This breaking chains thing. What are you thinking? And that's not how you do it. That's not how you do ministry. Uh, shut up. You know, I'm going to do it however God leads me to do this thing. It's not your ministry, exactly. None of my business. Support me, don't support me. I'm doing what God calls me to do. You can't say this to Peter. Peter can't say this to Jesus. Peter can't say this to anybody. None of us can. We obey our master. Now, if our master has a problem with what we're doing, by all means, tell him, get behind me, Satan. You know, I'll take the rebuke from him. That's where we get it from. We get it from God. God's the one that directs us. So that's why I brought that cross-reference into it. It's a little bit of a stretch, I know. But it's important that we understand that. I don't know what God's doing with you. Go do it. Do what God's leading you to do, you know? I know what God's leading me to do, and I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And I think if we all just do what God's leading us to do, it's going to be great. It's really going to be great, you know? Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come out... Oh, I just said that. <laughs> I wonder where I heard that. I studied it. Then anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works." I don't know why that came up right then, if there was snickering from John and the other guys saying, oh, Peter got rebuked hard. I guess he's not the greatest. We've ended that argument. I don't know. But Jesus thought, hmm, why don't I throw this out to the rest of the disciples? He says that to Peter, then he turns to his disciples and says, if anyone desires to come after me, you better deny yourself and take up your cross. In other words, I'm not the only one going to a cross here, guys, that Peter just said I'm not supposed to go to. We're all carrying crosses, and you better go grab it. Deny yourself and anything you thought was going to happen. Pick up your cross and follow me, because that's where I'm going. I'm denying myself. I'm God come in the flesh. I don't have to go to the cross if I don't want to. I'm choosing this. You're going to need to choose it too. All of us have to make that choice.
Whoever desires to save his life, the physical one, well, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, it's a good trade. It's a good trade to not be comfortable in this world, to not have it easy, to not have uh, what you thought God was going to do for you when you got saved. It's a good trade to have nothing happen like you thought it was going to happen, but serve him wholeheartedly your whole life to have what's waiting for you in the afterlife, what's waiting for us in everlasting life. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Obvious. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. God's going to be the rewarder. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Paul writes this. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, Paul just called his affliction light. I don't know if you've read the afflictions that he went through, but you should study them sometime. Oh my goodness. The guy was, well, I had a joke, but I won't. He got beat a lot. A lot. He's been shipwrecked. I don't know how, how many, you know, how many times have you been shipwrecked? Well, Paul could say three. That's pretty rare to be shipwrecked at all, but to be shipwrecked three different times, I mean, maybe you ought to walk instead of take a boat kind of thing. This guy, stoned, left for dead, he had, it's a light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Oh, chew on that. Everything I see is fake. Not lasting. Won't be here. The chairs, the piano, this body, whatever it is that I think is so important, so valuable to me right now, it's all fake. It's all temporary. It's all a means to an end. It's all going to vaporize. It's all going away. The only thing that matters, the only thing that's everlasting are the things of God, which is what Peter was, or God, Jesus was trying to teach Peter. You're not mindful of the things of the Spirit. You're mindful of the things of men. I'm concerned about my car. I'm concerned about my house. I'm concerned about my food. I'm concerned about my weight. I'm concerned about my whatever. Are you concerned about your soul? That's all that matters. That's the only thing that goes. You get a new body. Sweet. Abuses. No, I'm kidding. Don't. (laughs) Twinkies, here we come. You get a new body. You're going to have a new world. You're going to have a new uh, uh, Jerusalem is going to come down from heaven. You're going to be walking in a place where the streets are paved with gold, so money's not an issue anymore. You're going to have that. You need to be worried about what's going to be walking on those streets of gold, which is you. And the people that are beside you or not beside you on the streets of gold, that's what Peter's to be concerned with. Are you concerned with the things that matter? And I need to read this every single morning before I get out of bed, you know? Because it doesn't take me but five minutes for me to forget what we just studied tonight and begin to be concerned. My tires. Your tires? <laughs> you know? Oh. 
Verse 28, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What a horrible chapter break, by the way. Because the very next thing Matthew takes us to is the transfiguration on the mount, which we're not going to get to tonight because I'm way long. I'm way long. But so when you read verse 28, understand that goes with 17. The transfiguration on the mount, Jesus in his glory is exactly what he's talking about in verse 28. So next week, I'll start in verse 28, and we'll go through 17. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for grounding us. You ground us. You bring us back to the reality, which is heaven. The reality, which is you. The reality, which is forever with you for eternal life. The reality of what matters here on this earth, the reality of, of our soul, of our spirit, of our relationship with you, that's real. Everything else is temporary. God, help us to stay in this place of real, of what's real. The, the, the address that Biden's making tonight, eh, eh. it'll tell us what's going to happen to this temporary world for the next few years, but has no weight on eternity. Lord, help us to be focused on eternity. Help us to be mindful of the things of God, of you. Help us to be mindful of the things of the Spirit, to live our lives that way. We love you, and we thank you for the examples we have in Scripture, and your example of, of saying the hard things when they need to be said, whether that's to Pharisees or whether that's to Peter. Lord, please, say the hard things to us when we need to hear them. And help us to receive them with gladness, knowing that being rebuked by you means we're yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night.